Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. And really, I talked about the fact that Moses must have been devastated because he had had a dream of, of seeing the people set free and that dream was not, uh, uh, has not happened. He had failed in his dream. And then we just looked at that story and how God took hold of Moses and called him early on. And then for 40 years in the desert, looking after sheep, God shaped Moses. God shaped him so that by the time Moses comes to the burning bush, where he eventually meets with God, he's the most reluctant leader there ever was. He's saying to God, I can't go. I don't want to go. And God's having to talk to him and persuade him uh, to go. And in some ways, that's how it ought to be. If God's called you into something or you feel God's put something on your heart, there should come a point where you're a reluctant servant. Not too eager beaver. I mean, I know, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be, you're like, all oh, right, okay, then I mean, I've got all this energy. Um, but sometimes you just need to understand that when God calls you, um, it's a big thing. It's not a small thing. And so Moses comes through. We went through looking at the plagues. And what has happened by the time Moses gets to the plagues, he is purely a messenger of God. He's nothing more than that. He goes to God. God says, I want you to go and say this. Moses goes and he says it to Pharaoh. Then he goes back to God. Then he goes to Pharaoh. He does nothing of his own accord. You don't see Moses going to God, really? Frogs? You don't hear him having that kind of conversation. He simply does what he's told. and You don't even see him worrying about Pharaoh. Oh my goodness, how's Pharaoh going to respond to this one? He doesn't do that. He just does what he's told. He's learnt. Oh, the way to be with God is simply to do what I'm told. Obedience is the main thing here. I can love God all I want, but he wants obedience in my life. That's really what he wants. And so Moses uh, functions like that. And then last week we looked at uh, as, as they crossed the Red Sea. And you have to be honest, though. In, in human terms, you have to be honest. What took the people out of Egypt was the faith of one man. It wasn't the faith of the people. The people weren't all there going, goody, 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 we've been praying for this for ages. No, the people were reluctant to come out. Yeah, Even though coming out was freedom, they thought, well, you know, you're really going to take us out there? Isn't it better that we be slaves in Egypt? The people were reluctant to come out. It was the faith of that one man, Moses, that brought the people out of Egypt. And then starts another bit of the story. And I said last week that there's a transition point in the story. If you've ever watched the Star Wars movies, it goes Star Wars, and then part two is the Empire Strikes Back, and part three is the Return of the Jedi, and so on. And here, part one of this story was Moses. It was about Moses, the servant of God. It was about God working in Moses, the individual. Part two of the story is about Moses and the people of God. It's a different, it's a different situation. The people didn't come out. You you know about the, the story, the people who were oppressed in Egypt, but actually God doesn't release them out of their oppression because they were oppressed. He releases them because he had promised to do so. And that's really important we understand that, that it's not simply about their oppression. It was about his promise. That was why he comes to them. 
So last week they're coming across across, um, uh, the Red Sea and we just talked about that a little bit and we talked about as we come to the end of this bit where God deals with the individual, we looked at how goes it with you and God. Where do you you sit with God in terms of your ability to obey him? Do you understand? Is God currently shaping your life? Has God taken hold of you? For most of us, we're still in that phase, I'm afraid, where God is taking us and shaping us. You're not in that phase of being used yet. You might think you are, but really, truly, God's still shaping you. God took 80 years to shape Moses. Now, don't, don't be put off by that. Most of us don't live much longer than that these days. So God can do it a little bit quicker um, than he did with Moses. But God hasn't changed yeah? So the fact that the world has changed and we've got faster and faster at everything and, we're, and we want to see everything happening in our lifetime. And it's no wonder that we're like that because we live in the first generation where it is possible in my lifetime to probably visit every, every country in the world in my lifetime. I could do that. You couldn't do that before. Yeah, you'd spend all your, work, all your life just walking around Africa. But nowadays you could probably visit every country in the world, if you had the money that is, you don't can't do it without money particularly. But, but so we get to this point where God is now looking at the people. They cross the Red Sea. <clears throat> and it's interesting because they come out of Egypt, a, a, a group of slaves, and God is about to form them into a nation. This is the beginning of something. It's not the end. Yeah? I mean, at one level, you could say, like a fairy tale, the end of the story, you could finish the story there, the people cross the Red Sea, and, they, and then their nemesis Pharaoh dies in the water, and they live happily ever after. But we know they don't live happily ever after. But God has begun to form them. And it's really interesting, as God begins to form the people, the first thing that they do, the first response after they cross the Red Sea is what? Does anyone know? Sorry? Moan, okay, that's one of the things they do. What's the first thing Moses does? It's worship. It's worship. It's the first thing that they do. Yeah? So it's almost like they get over the other side of the Red Sea and, okay, I'm, I'm reading into the story. Moses says, come people, people, come round, come round. Come round, people. And then he says, the Lord is my... And he begins to sing. It's the first thing that they do when they cross the Red Sea. Okay, they look back and they see the horse and the riders in the sea. I don't know quite what they thought about that, all that death on the, on the shore. But the first thing they do as a people, and it says it here, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Now, I might be overemphasizing it, but I'm going to overemphasize the importance of worship to the people. The importance of worship to the people. So let me just read a a few verses and then uh, pick out some things. So then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord... For he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider he's thrown into the sea. I don't know the tune he used. I mean, there is a song that we sing called the Song of Moses, which Sarah introduced to us, and I love that song. But they don't use every word here. Yeah, they don't, we don't sing about the horse and the rider, particularly. 
being thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them, and they went down into the depths. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You have led in your steadfast love, the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength. And then towards the end, it says, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And then it says, then Miriam The prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, saying, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who's with us and brings revelation of your word to us and father i pray that today such revelation will be evident and i pray our hearts will be open to what you have to say in jesus name amen so okay we don't have tambourines so much um although feel free to bring them if you want to do that but there is this song that the people sing and they sing it in order that they, and so to Moses, it's the first thing that he does when he comes out. And it's almost like he doesn't, it's almost like Moses doesn't even wait for the sea to come back before he sings this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. And I can imagine part of it for Moses was personal. He's leading the people in a corporate song, but part of it for him was personal because of the journey that he himself had been on. That journey where God had called him to something which, um, when he tried it on his own, he was completely unsuccessful. When he comes to God, there's so much fear in him, he doesn't know what to do, and yet God has used him to deliver the people. So it must have been personal. I will sing to the Lord. Worship for him was personal. It was something God had done in him. But also it's interesting that it's the first thing. And why is that interesting? Because knowing human nature as we do, it would not have been long before some of the people would have been tempted to worship Moses. It would not have been long. Think about it. If somebody, because remember they don't see God 
What they see is Moses. Moses is the messenger of God. God is speaking to Moses. Moses telling the people. And suddenly, the people have walked out of Egypt. They haven't lost one life. All two million of them, children and that included, they've walked out of Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, and they've seen Pharaoh be taken, and all they can see is Moses. It's human nature to think, oh my goodness, who is this man? Worshipping Moses would not have been very difficult for them to do, which is why I think he's almost like, come people, come people, and he begins to sing. Yeah? And in his song, you don't hear him sing about himself. Yeah? You hear a lot of singers these days, they sing about themselves, don't they? They put themselves in their songs. Yeah? <clears throat> Which does seem bizarre, but, but we're, we live in a generation where, where people idolise self. If I'm to worship anything, it's going to be humanity. It's the human form. That's what we worship these days. I worship myself more than I worship anything else. And yet Moses was really keen for the people to realise, this is God's work. This is not my work. So he leads them in this song. The Lord is my strength and my song, he sings. He has become my salvation. He would have known all too well both the dangers and the temptations of them worshipping him, and he would have also known all too well the inner battles that he had to get himself there. I am not God. I know that. (laughs) Because I know when I've been on my knees fearful, it's God who's come to me. You remember the story in the New Testament where uh, I think it's the, 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 the Apostle Peter and John where they carry out some miracles. Then people begin to worship them. I can't remember if it's Peter or John or Paul. People begin to worship them and, and Peter says, stand up, I'm only a man myself. Very quickly. There's not like, oh yeah, I can sort of understand. Yeah, okay. No, stand up, I'm only a man myself. The one thing we do not is, or God does not do, is share glory with you or with me. Yeah? So we don't have that situation where, where, because where, sometimes you can believe your own hype. Yeah? I had a friend of mine who's very popular and he said, he said you know what, I mean, I began to believe the hype. Yeah? And I thought, oh, it's very good when you realise you're beginning to believe the hype because you can't believe the hype about yourself. You read what, you know, if you just listen to what people read about yourself, you realise, that's, that's not me. Is that me? <clears throat> and Moses was really clear, clear. This is not me. I cannot believe this about myself. This is about God. God has done this for his own glory, for his own purpose, to fulfil his own promise, to show you and I that he is God. And I will just respect that. So he leads them. But we must understand that when he does that, there is a danger of us and of others of worshipping things that are not God. And sometimes we do it. Sometimes we we make more of honouring people than we ought to. Sometimes we make more of people than we ought to. God is the one who is completely in control. God is the one who proved his faithfulness. The other thing we can't underestimate is the importance right at this point. So there's something about worshipping God that Moses wanted the people to do. He didn't want them to worship him, so very quickly he gets into it. But there's something about a nation born in the context of corporate worship, that they would worship together. There was something 
about that. That corporate worship for the people of God is fundamental. It's not optional. It's fundamental that you gather with the people of God and in that context, it's fundamental. It's really important. Why is that? The very act of singing to God together about what he has done is unique. Singing to God together about what he has done for us is unique to the Christian. It's unique to the church. Although corporate singing is not unique. And sometimes we can struggle with singing, we can struggle with worship. And yet, I don't know if you've ever been to a football match. I've been to dozens of football matches in my time. And I watch people worship. They're not worshipping God, but they're worshipping. They're worshipping the thing that they love, corporate worship. I remember going to West Ham, my my favourite football team, and I remember standing there with the other thousands and we're singing I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles, which although I'm a big West Ham fan, it's a silly song. I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles, uh, pretty bubbles in the air. They fly so high, they nearly reach the sky. Then like my dreams, they fade and die. That's what we sing. Um, And there are thousands of us singing it. Yeah, Some have got their arms in the air. Some have got their eyes closed. They're worshipping. Yeah, I remember going to the FA Cup final replay back in the 90s between Man United and Crystal Palace, and we sung at the beginning, as they do in every FA Cup final, Abide With Me. I worshipped. Abide With Me. Fast falls. I didn't worry about the match at that point. I was worshipping the God behind the song. But people worship. So when people tell me, oh, you know, I don't like singing in church, you know, I just feel a bit, you know, singing in church, you know, I don't really do that. Man, you go to a football match, there's 30,000 men and they're singing. And they're singing like this. Or we went to the X Factor final. Um, Yeah. It's all coming out now. We went to the X Factor final, uh, uh, Paulie and I with some friends, and, uh, and we all stood and sang songs. And some of them were like, and next to us were like X Factor regulars who knew what to do they knew where to stand they knew what to sing and they're like worshipping and I'm like yo people worship no one else worships God in the way that we do but worship must come to us I think I think Satan has robbed the church of worship when we think to ourselves you know I'm not going to sing the song man I'm too cool to sing the songs I'll just sit and I'll just observe and I listen. No. If you're a Christian, you worship. Corporate worship is key. That's why it's one of the many, many reasons why you can't be a Christian alone. Because you cannot engage in corporate worship on your own. And, and believe me, I worship. Yeah, I'm at home and I get my music and, and 99%, or not 99%, but a lot of my songs in here are worship songs. And I have little playlists and, and some songs I just listen to the same song all the time. Yeah, so I've got some songs on here that I've listened to twice and some songs on here that I've listened several hundred times. Yeah, so I just listen, very boring like that. I listen to the same song. I worship, yeah, but there is nothing like corporate worship. There is nothing like being gathered with the people of God to worship. And we can tell from the story of Moses right at the very beginning of the forming of the people, corporate worship was there. It's not stylistic. It's not, well, I don't mean, you know, I don't like those songs. It's about God. It's a response to what God has done. That's why we worship. 
Corporate worship reminds us of important truths of our faith. In fact, I would argue, and some people wouldn't necessarily agree with this, I would argue that you're more likely to remain orthodox, and what I mean by that is, is clear and faithful in biblical truth through singing songs and listening to worship than you are through listening to preachers. Yeah? Even though I preach, yeah, you're more likely to stay focused on God if you have good worship songs than if you just simply to listen to someone speak. Why? Because every time someone preaches, and I include me in this, there's a little bit of God in there, but there's a lot of me in there. Yeah? In 30 minutes, I will say some things that are helpful in God, but I will also have got some things skewed. Yet some worship songs have stood the test of time. They've been around for hundreds. We sang this morning, When I Survey. None of us were alive when that song was written. None of us were alive when somebody hundreds of years ago in a very, very different kind of environment sang a song that said, when I survey the wondrous cross. And he didn't know when he wrote those words that hundreds of years later we would sing the same words and it would have the same meaning. When I survey the wondrous cross. He didn't know that. But I don't ever listen to his preachers. And it's not just that they're not in line. It's, it, I don't find old preachers and read them. I mean, there are one or two that people read that have stood the test of time. What has stood the test of time has been worship. Songs that, that keep you focused on the truth on which the Prince of Glory died. The moment you stop believing that, you cease to be Christian. Songs keep you there. The importance of truth behind songs. One of the reasons that we do communion in the way that we do, and we do it with a song particularly, is, is that song is intentionally there to remind us of what Christ has done for us. So it's not just any old song. It's a song that specifically reminds you of the gospel. Because sometimes we forget. Sometimes we get so caught up in the world in which we live, we forget what God has done for us. And sometimes, in some churches around the world, people will sing songs that never mention Jesus, and they will hear preachers that never mention Jesus. But they're churches. They're Christian. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> That's scary for me. Yeah? I want to be reminded of this truth that has stood the test of time. Corporate worship keeps me humble and grateful to God because I'm reminded all the time of what he has done particularly these days where we worship self more than anything else, where we almost put ourselves on par with God and that we're in partnership with him. Yeah, there's an element of partnership, but really, truly, God is, God's in control. I'm, I'm nothing more than a messenger. I'm nothing more than a servant. And corporate worship, it's vital for every church and every Christian. It's so fundamental, as I said before, I think Satan has sought to destroy its power in the life of the Christian. <clears throat> Many of us, rather than seeing worship as the most appropriate corporate response to God and what he's done, rather than seeing it as food for the soul and water for the spirit, we think of it around personality, or we think of it around style. We see it as, as emotive. And we see the, the word and the teaching. Well, that's the thing I really need to hear. I need to know what he's saying, um, rather than 
engaging in worship. Some of us think, no, worship's for certain types of people. And I'm not even talking about, you know, whether you dance, raise your hands. I don't even think that that's really the, the question. You, know, you can think, the danger is you can think because you go to a, the kind of church where they, um, where they sing modern songs and there's a little bit more charisma in the worship and they, they raise their hands and all that, you can think that that's what makes you Christian. But that doesn't make you Christian. Any more than in the past, singing hymns made you Christian. Those things don't make you Christian. What makes you Christian is what you believe about Jesus. What causes you to live as Christian is how obedient you are to what you believe. Those are things that make you Christian. But we can think of those kinds of things. I would go as far as to say, and this is for me, maybe this isn't for everyone, but for me, this would be true. Worship is a barometer of my faith. What I mean is worship is, is the thing that I can measure my faith by in some ways. When we were, when our kids were, were smaller, and we got three girls and they're, they're all a bit older now, but when our kids were smaller, um, if Pauline and I had not given enough time to our girls or, or we had maybe introduced something that the girls didn't like, the barometer of how the girls felt would always be our middle child. The moment Rihanna stepped out, of, you know, because it didn't take a lot. The moment she would step out and start reacting to stuff, we could go, ah, oh, what, what are we not doing here? Because with Yasmin and Daisy, they wouldn't respond so quickly, but Rihanna would be on it straight away. If something wasn't, if something wasn't working, something wasn't right, Rihanna would be onto it. We would know about it. Really. She was a barometer for us of how, almost how we were doing. Now, half the time we thought, we're not doing very well here. Worship is a barometer for faith. If I'm struggling in my faith <clears throat> or in my life or with people in the church, I can still come to church. Yeah? I, 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 can, I can still listen to preachers. But you probably won't find me doing this. This is my desire. You won't find me doing that. If I'm really struggling, I'm probably not going to sing that my desire is to honour you. If I have been intentionally sinning, I'm not going to sing. I might, I might now, but in reality, I might be like this. Worship for me is a barometer of my faith because it's worship that keeps me sensitive to God. Yeah? Worship has to be, uh, and the reason I think you have to move away from the style is it has to be about the words of the songs. You need to sing the right kind of songs, but it has to be about it's a sensitivity. It makes me sensitive. I can listen to a sermon and even pick up you know, one or two things. I can even listen to sermons online or whatever it is. But worship, it's almost like worship is that, you know, I can be, I can be married to Pauline and, and we can functionally do all the right things. But, but if I never express my love to Pauline in some way, you know, then, it, you know, it's a bit dry. Worship is one of the ways I express my love to God. So if I never worship, then faith simply becomes a, a cerebral activity. It's about knowledge. It's about what do I know? Can I talk about big truths? It's not about that. True faith is a relationship, and it's a love relationship. Worship helps you get there. Worship helps you. What do I do then 
when I don't feel like worshipping. If I've talked about worship, I've talked about how important it is. I know some people struggle with songs. I know some people struggle with music. I understand that I've been in church long enough. I know all the things. Yeah, because I've had all of those things as well. Yeah, but what do I do when I struggle? I would ask a different question. How do I love people when I don't feel like loving them? How do I love someone when I don't feel like loving them? How do I love my wife when I don't feel like loving them? Well, how do I love my friends when, when you know, you, you, say your friend hurts you or you fall out or they do something and you thought, oh, I never knew they were like that. I thought, I, 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 thought we were, I thought we were deeper than that. They do something and it hurts you. Now, some of us, when that happens, we just go, that's it then. Yeah? But, but others of us, particularly if, you know, if you're married or if you've got a strong friend, you're going to approach them. You're going to go, do you know what? That, that was deep. That hurt. You're going to try and reconcile. And if they don't even know that they've hurt you, you you're not always going to show it. You're not always going to be angry and stuff. How, how do I show love to my kids when my kids have done things that, that, I, that I struggled with? My love can't be conditional on their goodness. It's a bit like that with God. When I worship, it's not conditional on God doing all the things I want him to do. God, I've prayed that prayer for so long, I can't even believe you've not heard me. And and actually, God, I'm not going to talk to you until you answer that prayer. And sometimes... Hopefully you share that with someone and someone says, no, no, don't, 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 don't treat God like that. That's not how to treat God because you might be waiting for a very long time to hear him. But when I, how do I worship when I don't feel like it? I worship when I don't feel like it in the same way I love people when I don't feel like it. When someone hurts me, but I'm expressing love to them. Yeah? Sometimes you just have to do it. Sometimes it's an intent. Love is a deliberate, intentional act. It's not always an emotion and a feeling. Sometimes it's deliberate. I will do this. And sometimes worship is a deliberate and intentional act. There is often a barrier to worship. In the same way that we go through pain barriers, there can be a worship barrier. And it's summarised in Habakkuk 3, and we've looked at this before, and it says this. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and cattle in the stalls, in our language, though nothing is working out for me, Though nothing has happened, though all the things I've asked God for, none of them have come to pass, though I've been hurt by this situation and that situation, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Worship as a deliberate and intentional act. And you sometimes need to break through the worship barrier. So just before we finish and we're going to sing a song with Josh. Do you want to come up and get your... I've told this story before, but I think it's relevant here. I'm recognising there is a challenge in relation to worship for some of us. 
But, but I'm also saying in that challenge that part of that challenge is the devil wants to rob you of worship. Yeah. And he wants you to withdraw from worship. So I want to issue this challenge when you struggle to sing songs, when you're doubting stuff that are fundamental to your faith. Or maybe you just feel like, as a person, you just feel a bit, you feel a bit um, self-conscious because maybe you don't think you've got a good voice or whatever. I want to issue this challenge. When I was a much younger Christian, I used to go to the church prayer meeting but I never had the courage to pray. And I used to go there week after week, and I, and I would desire to pray, but I just couldn't. I couldn't, I, you know, I couldn't. And I was thinking, well, how do they do that? How do they string all those words together? Didn't know how to do it. So what I did, and I don't know what made me do this, I can't remember whether somebody told me, but I remember what I did. I used to pray before I went to the prayer meeting that God would give me the courage to pray at the prayer meeting. Yeah? I used to pray before that God would give me the courage to pray when I got to the prayer meeting. And there are two things I want to encourage you to do in relation to worship. First of all, find songs. You know, we've all got these days, I mean, you couldn't said this 20 years ago, we've all got phones and most of our phones have got music thing on them and we've got music on them and you have whatever music you want on them. But I want to encourage you, put some worship songs on your phone. And if you struggle to sing songs, sing along with songs on your phone when you're on your own, before you ever get to church. Find some of the songs we'll be singing. They're all there. Yeah. I- iTunes or YouTube or whatever. Spotify. They're all there. Sing some of the songs. I would even encourage you, do that more than you listen to the servants. Yeah? Because what God wants to do is something in your heart, not in your head. Yeah? God wants you to love him. Yeah? Moses led the people to love God by teaching them to worship from day one. Yeah? I want to encourage you, listen to some of the songs and, and worship through that. So that when, and then when you come together, and we come together like this, that you would try and ensure your heart is open to God. I mean, uh, well, uh, there's a passage that talks about um, oh, I can't even remember it now. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember it. But there is something about coming and going, God, help me to worship you today. Because worship will be good for you. Yeah? Worship will keep you. It will centre you. More than preaching does. Yeah? And I'm not belittling preaching. But worship will help centre you. If you are listening and, and singing songs, it will keep your heart alive to God. And that is so important. So we're just going to finish by singing this song, but I want to encourage you, take, take up that challenge, download some songs on your phone, listen to them, pray before you get here that God would help you to worship. Get involved in corporate worship. Okay, let's sing, and then we'll close. Shall we stand? You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. 
If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.